Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. To yourself in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, what would you say to that person sitting right here? Because when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, when we look into the eyes of Jesus, that's all that's going to matter. God, have I lived a life that's been pleasing to you? The kind of person you are, the kind of man or woman that you are and that you want to be, your achievements, your life's work, everything will come down to this one moment. So what I want to look at is the, is the participants, the purpose and the promise of the Bema seat of Christ. Let's look quickly Firstly, at the participants, because the scripture says here, we must all. Do you get that? That means every single one of us. There can't be a little note from uh, mum or dad, little Susie, little Johnny can't make the sports carnival today because of blah, 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 blah. We can't, we can't escape this. Not your husband, not your wife, not your friend, not your pastor. Doesn't matter if you've got a really good defence attorney, a lawyer, whatever. Every one of us will have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our lives. But understand something about God's judgment. It will be fair. God's righteous judgments are fair. The Bible says in, in, uh, in James that there is no variance or shadow of turning with God. In other words, you can never get out from under his blessing. God is absolutely constant. He's not capricious. He doesn't wake up this morning and I'm in a bad mood and but tomorrow I might be in a better mood. I hope I get him when he's in a good mood. And then not only is God's judgment fair, it's personal because see how he moves from the plural, we must all, to the singular, each one may receive. So what I thought I would do just by way of introduction as well, is, is minister, so we've got a bit of clarity here, what the judgment seat of Christ is not. Let me explain to you what it's not, because in the scripture it mentions many judgments. Firstly, it's not a judgment of your sins. That's been settled at Calvary. How many people realise that in, in, in John 5.25? Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. This is not a judgment for your sins. When, you, when you're born again, you entered into eternal life. They've been judged on the cross. Do you thank Jesus for that? They're not going to be raised up again. You know, I'll tell you something, God's not impressed with your resume, but he's not repulsed by your past either. That's under the blood of Jesus. I mean, this is not a judgment of your salvation. Are we clear on that? That's really important. Secondly, it's not the judgment of the nations. We read about this specific judgment in Matthew chapter 25 and it seems it's, where it's sometimes called the sheet and goat judgment. Happens at the end of the tribulation period, beginning of the millennium. Uh, a lot of Bible commentators sort of relate this to how nations have treated Israel. I'm not talking about that this morning. This is not the judgment of the nations. It's not the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 to 15 if you want to take the time to read that, this is the judgment for the unsaved. And if you're at this judgment, you're in a fair bit of trouble. Because the Bible says that anyone whose name was not written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire.
There's a million roads into hell, but not a single one out of it. And I say that with as much love and compassion. If you don't know Christ, you don't have to go there. God has made a provision for you that you could be born again, saved, and know his wonderful grace and love. It's also not self-judgment. What do, I, what do I mean by that? This is a, a sort of a bit of a nebulous term. I'm talking about sins committed after your conversion. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11.31, For if we judge ourselves correctly, we would not be judged. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he's what? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because it doesn't matter how godly you are, how many hours you spend in prayer, we're all prone to fall from time to time. If we say we have no sin, we what? We deceive ourselves. And so this is a process, isn't it? We're saved, we're being saved, and we ultimately will be saved when we enter into heaven. But this process is, is a struggling and a growing process, and from time to time we're going to mess up, but thank God we have an advocate. So better that if you look at yourself honestly, openly, confess those sins, that's self-judgment. That's not what I'm talking about either. I'm talking about a judgment for our works done in Christ. We look secondly here at the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says in in verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's the focus of your life, saints. The focus of my life, the focus of your life. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 29, uh, he who is with me has sent me, the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And Paul is saying here, that is our aim. Uh, Whether at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's what this life is about, to please Christ, to serve him. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 25. Do not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we... And imperishable. The judgment seat of Christ is sometimes called the beam of judgment. You can move that next slide. Because when a Roman army came back from battle, and if they're victorious, and during the Roman Empire they generally were victorious, they would march through the streets of Rome. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, but you know all the petals that were flowing from the sides and and the the streamers and so on, the fragrance. That was the aroma of victory. And the Roman legions would march through the streets of Rome. They'd go right up into the Colosseum and they'd march around the um, the perimeter, the circumference, sorry, of the arena. And those soldiers that were awarded for special acts of valour and bravery they received certain wreaths, awards, honours, bestowals and, and tax exemptions, so on and so on. I don't have the time to go, to go right into that, but it was a big thing to be rewarded and Caesar himself, who sat on the platform, the word beamer means raised, so the whole thought there, when you think beamer, think raised platform, and Caesar would reward them personally for their service to Rome. That's the background of it. And so that's the thought that we have as Christians that one day you're going to stand before Jesus Christ and he's going to reward you personally for what you've done for his kingdom. Now the Greeks used it with a slightly more judicial function but they also introduced it with a sporting context. 
And so this comes out of the ancient Ithmian Games, which is kind of the forerunner or the precursor to our modern Olympic Games. And so the reason that, you know, when the gold medal winner, they, we put him on what? The highest platform. Silver gets second, bronze third. That's that thought. So why am I saying all this? I'm saying this because I want you to understand something really clear, that the Bemis seat is a place of reward. Where Christ himself wants to reward you for what you've done in his kingdom. And that's the important truth that needs to be seared onto our minds here. I've talked about judgments, but I want you to see this is not a punishment, but a praise. And I believe wholeheartedly that the overall mood that we're going to be experiencing at this time is going to be joy. When you get your rewards from Christ. Matthew 6 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, the focus of this passage is not so much the the renouncing of earthly goods, but the accumulation of heavenly rewards. Because whatever we accumulate here on earth is going to end up in a junk pile somewhere, isn't it? Or a quokka magazine or something like that. It's our focus. Hebrews 11.6, But without faith it's impossible to please him. For who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's what? That he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Does that make you uncomfortable this morning? Because some of us struggle with this, don't we? Well, I'm just, I'm just a humble servant. I'm not going to be rewarded. God wants to reward you. That's his heart's desire. That's his pleasure. Probably the clearest explanation for the judgment seat of Christ Paul gave is in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, says, According to the grace of God which is given me, have you got that slide? As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let every man be careful how he builds on it, For any other foundation can no one lay than the one being laid, who is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, each one's work shall be revealed. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try each one's work as to what kind it is. If anyone's work which he built remains, he shall receive reward. If anyone's work shall be burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Is that fairly clear to everyone? The scripture says that there will be reward, but there will be loss. But the overall uh, experience, the zeitgeist, the the spirit of the time will be one of rejoicing. I don't want you to think you're going to go to heaven and go, oh man, I missed out. But obviously there's loss involved or, the, or we may not have received all that we could have. Do you know there's six materials that are presented there? Were you following that? There was gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay and stubble. And obviously with those six materials, they react differently to what? What's, what's the tester there? What's, what's the catalyst? Fire and heat. So what happens when fire is applied to the gold, the silver, the precious stones? They're refined, aren't they? Straw burns a lot quicker than wood, but they both burn and leave and leave ashes. You see, your salvation is assured, but your works will be tested. See, the beamer seat 
reveals our motives. Let's look firstly at purity of motive. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each, man, each man's praise will come to him from God. Think about what that text is saying. It's saying you can, you can do all these wonderful things. You can pray for the sick. You can build uh, schools and hospitals. You can pastor churches. You can give truckloads of money. You can be on every possible committee you can think of. But the scripture says, if we don't do it with a pure motive, it won't pass the torch test, will it? If we have an ulterior motive there. You know what, and sometimes church, and I, I want you to hear what I'm saying here, is that we can use God to run from God. We use our service to God and getting busy and doing this and doing that, but really we're running from God because, God, I don't, want to, I don't want to step back and be so quiet and in solitude that I can actually hear what you actually want me to do. You say, oh, I'd rather burn out than rust out. Well, either way, you're out. You with me, saints? All right, let's look secondly quickly here. Purity of speech. Notice that the scripture talks about, you know, gold and, and silver. Proverbs 10.20 says, The tongue of the just is as choice silver, and the heart of the wicked is of little worth. You know, and David prayed, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. He, David had a revelation of this. God, I know I can get away with things, but you see everything. And how I speak and the way I speak will have an impact for eternity. Death and life are what? In the power of the tongue. Romans 14.10, the companion scripture to our text here says, But why do you judge your brother? Or why also do you despise your brother? For all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. See, Paul picks and he takes this theme a little bit further. You know what? You, know, you want to look at someone else? You want to, you want to cast dispersions upon someone else? You want to slander? Be very careful about that. But sitting on that raised platform... You're sitting in judgment upon their soul and one day you're going, to be, you're going to be the one giving account for it. You know, according to Roman law, if, if anyone was found to be slandering in public, you know what they used to do to them? They used to club them to death. That's heavy, isn't it? I didn't come here Sunday morning to hear something like that. But it's the dualistic nature of our tongue. See, with our words... We, we either, we, we're either multiplies or diminishes. We can pick people up. We can build people up. We can encourage people. We can speak words of life to them. I remember years ago, I was a brand new convert in 1985, and I was just going through so much. It was my final year of high school and just battling a whole bunch of things, and I just had a, a, a pastor grab me by the hand and say, you know what, Darren, you're going to make it. Nothing overly profound, but the spirit behind those words, I'm still dining out on it. It was such an encouragement to my soul. You can multiply people with your words. You can help them. You can help them to grow and be who they are in Christ. But you can also diminish them as well. Cast dispersions upon their character. 
sow discord among the brethren. Undermine with your... I remember years ago when I was... Uh, I, had, I held a full-time position in a, on a, in a large Pentecostal church. I was the director of outreach and evangelism. And so I, I remember one year we are organising this conference and, and uh, I'm, you know, running around doing this and doing that and trying to set things in order... And the, and the man who used to run the media ministry, who was the one who'd record all the sermons and put it all together, godly man, one of the most godly men you'll ever meet, his name was Wolf Seventy. And he was in his early 60s at the time, I believe, and, and he was trying to set up some tables and so on, and he just asked me, would you mind helping me set up these tables? And you know, I got... Because I was so busy and so indignant, I'm like, you know, there's the pastor, the assistant pastor than me. I don't, I'm not going to, you know. I give the orders around here, not you. <laughs> so in my pride, I just fogged him off. I said, you, 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 you can do that. You can organise that. I got about eight steps when the Holy Spirit, I remember it like yesterday, just grabbed me by the heart. How dare you? Speak to a servant of Christ like that. How dare you disrespect an elder like that? I said, God, please don't smite me here. (laughs) And I walked back, apologised and got it right. God is so gracious. Amen. Purity of motive, purity of speech, purity of thought. You know, God takes a scalpel to reveal things. I like what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who, who we must give an account. That's a scary thought, isn't it, right there? Could you imagine if we walked around, there's like a video cam or something on our head of every thought we had? Come on, don't blink it. You'd be terrified, just like I would be. But God sees that. And he's gracious with us, amen. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. But it it makes you, when you live like that, it makes you think, man, it really is important what I think, isn't it? You've heard the old adage that if you... If you uh, sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. Thackeray, I believe it was, the English poet. But it all goes back to a thought, doesn't it? Can I just encourage you saints here to walk softly here on earth? The Bible says in Timothy that, 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 that God dwells in unapproachable light. And, and, that man, and, and he sees everything about us. He can't be conned, he can't be bluffed. You can get away with that kind of thing on earth, but not in the, not, not in the presence of Jesus Christ. What's the other difference of note between gold, silver, precious stones and wood, hay and stubble? You obviously apply the, the heat to the wood, hay and stubble, but where are they? They're pretty well everywhere, aren't they? If we look around, we walk outside, you can see them. And the reason for that is because they grow above ground. You with? They catch the eye. But where do you find gold, silver, and precious stones? Underground. That's exactly right. 
It's their quality, not their quantity, that makes them precious. And I'm saying that here, saints, to you because I know a lot of what you do. I know a lot of your labours. No one sees. No one sees. And you don't always get appreciated for what you do. But I want you to listen carefully. Jesus sees. God sees everything that you've done. God sees the ladies that clean, the people who clean the carpets, vacuum, set up the coffees and the teas, do the unheralded things. Jesus sees. Your reward's coming. Hallelujah. Because a lot of the times what happens, you know, and you preach this and it doesn't matter how many churches, they've always, they've always got these people, they've got this thought, I just don't matter here. I don't care, I'm not important. Well, you are to God. And this place doesn't work without you. God sees everything that you've done. We don't always see what we labour for. The results are tangible and sometimes you're building blind. Thank God, it's hard to do the right thing. I just can't seem to be getting headway. I want to tell you, in God's, in God's will, in God's purpose, one day he will weave everything out perfect that will, that, will, that will come out right for your life, whether in this life or the next one. The scripture says in Romans chapter 8, and this we know, all things work together for good to those that love God and those who are called according to his purpose. The, you read in the English, it says work together. It's one Greek word, synergio. And the thought of, the thought of that is like, a, like an ancient chemist where he would, take the, he would take certain things, mix it up in his, in his bowl and, and make a medicine out of it, make something good. And the thought that Paul wants to bring is that God will take the good in your life, he'll take the bad in your life, he'll mix it together and he'll make it for your good. Trust him. So it's that we build right. Let me just move quickly here and look at the promise. Now it's generally accepted that the Bible talks about crowns that we'll receive at the judgment seat of Christ. And, you know, the Bible mentions there's, a, there's an elder's crown, the crown of glory, crown of rejoicing called the soul winner's crown, righteousness for those who faithfully living in the light of his return, and also the incorruptible or the victor's crown. And there's also the crown of life, also known as the martyr's crown. Now, whether these are, are literal physical crowns, they were in Roman times that they would receive, and the Bible does say in Revelation that we will be casting crowns before the throne or whether it's a metaphor in terms of you being crowned with goodness and righteousness and so on, as like, a, as like an adornment an adornment upon your life. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life to those who have loved him. These, here are those that, are, that have been tried and tested for their faith, and ultimately some people right now are paying, for their, are paying in their own blood for their lives, for their testimony of Christ. There was a monk who lived at, uh, in the 4th century. His name was Telemachus. Now, he felt God saying to him, go to Rome. He lived in this cloistered monastery. He put his possessions in a sack and he went to Rome. When he arrived in the city, people were thronging in the streets. 
He asked why all the excitement and was told that this is the day that the gladiators would be fighting and they'd be killing each other in the Colosseum. And Telemachus thought four centuries of Christian preaching and, and, where, and what are we doing? He was so incensed and so enraged that he climbed into the Colosseum and raised his hands and said, in the name of Christ, forbear, meaning stop. And then the frenzied mob were just were, were aroused and, and brought to a state of just hyped up, um, you know, madness and said, thrust him through, thrust him through, kill him. So one of the gladiators took the butt of his spear, he didn't kill him, but just thrust him to the ground. So Telemachus got up again and said, in the name of Christ, forbear. And then they, the crowd yelled out, thrust him through, thrust him through. We have no king but Caesar, were their words. And then finally, one of the gladiators just lanced him right through his heart. He fell to the ground and his blood turned that sand crimson. After that happened, there was a silent hush. And one by one, that crowd got up and walked out. And I can't substantiate this was empirical evidence, but rumours are that was the last known gladiatorial battle. See, who you are is defined in adversity. The first century church were persecuted to the point your faith often cost you your life. Nero used to wrap up Christians in oily rags and set them alight so he can look at his roses at night. He'd flay them alive and feed them to frenzied dogs. So when people would rather suffer a death like that than say, Kaiser Curious, Caesar is Lord, you know that that's a genuine faith. And I'm saying this, church, because I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I believe it's getting harder and harder. And some of us are going to be faced with some tough times. And we need to be prepared and braced for it. Now, God has given us some enabling to help us in the promise of God's enabling, 1 Peter 4, 10, 11. Each of you has been blessed with, with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. So use your gift well. If you've got the gift of speaking, preach God's message. If you've got the gift of helping others, do it with the strength that God supplies. Everything should be done in a way that will bring honour to God because of Jesus Christ, who is glorious and powerful forever. Amen. You know the scripture, what is it saying here? We're to, be, we're, to be, we're to be a blessing to others with the gift that God has given us. That gift is not, not, for, not for us to sit on. The whole body of Christ is meant to be blessed by that. That's how this thing works. And when significant numbers of people in the church are operating in their gift, that's how we're going to accomplish God's, God's will. But sometimes, you know what, we get fearful, don't we? Or we want to accept the status quo. You're kind of happy. I'm kind of happy where I am. We tune into Radio Doubt FM. And then the problem is that the people who are spinning in our orbit are meant to be blessed by our lives. We're not receiving that. Don't accept the status quo, saints. I've got a hunch that when the score is added up, one day we'll stand before the Lord. We'd, we'd wish we played more risk than trivial pursuit. Sometimes, you know, you begin to wonder, you know, well, how am I going to... I don't know, what is, what is my gifting? What is my calling? That's, a, that's another sermon, but let me just give you this illustration. Think about harbour lights. 
You know, there are some uh, ports, some harbours in the world that are quite thin and very dangerous to try and navigate at night. So what they do, they use a system of three lights. So when the captain comes into port and he looks for those harbour lights, what he has to do, he has to line the three of them up to become one light. If he sees two or three, he knows he's off course, he knows he's headed for danger. But if all three are lined up and he only sees one light, he knows he's on a straight course. Let me give you three lights. God's word is your desires, your calling based on God's word. Is it contrary to God's word? Do you have the witness of the spirit of God in your life? And do you have the natural giftings? Is there a sense of divine providence about what you're doing? Can other people see the giftings working in your life? You know, if you sweat bullets every time you get, if you get up to speak, you're probably not called to preach. But some of you are really good at praying for the sick. Some of you are blessed with, with an ability to, get to, 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 to make money and you can be a blessing to the kingdom that way. Some of you are really good at having people over. Some of you, you know what I mean? Let the Holy Spirit show you. That tugging in your heart is there for a reason. It's lodged there for a reason. That's God's way of yearning you, trying to draw you to do his, to do his perfect will. Ephesians 2.9 says we are God's work. He says we're saved by grace. Thank God for that. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But we never read verse 10. We are his what? His workmanship. Created for good works. This is not some cosmic retirement plan. We're saved to serve. See, I'm encouraged, saints, by the one who shed his blood for us. The one who loves us is the one who holds our rewards in his hand. And he will reward us one day for what we've done for his kingdom. Seven times in the book of Revelation, he says, I know your works, I know your works, I know your works. Your faithfulness to God's house, every dollar that you've put in the plate every act of kindness. There was a, a mission statement in New York called Bowery Mission. And at the turn of, in the, in the early 50s, there was, there was a man named Joe. And he was, he was an alcoholic, but he got saved at this mission, powerfully converted. And he had, a, he had such a reputation for being like a dirty wino and a miserable existence in the ghetto. But, but following his conversion, nothing was beneath Joe. He got powerfully converted and he would, you know, clean up the men's toilets. He'd tuck men into bed who couldn't help themselves. He'd go out and feed people. He'd just do everything he possibly could. He couldn't... He was so grateful for what Christ had done in his life. One particular evening at this mission, um, they would always have someone come and preach in the evening. And this... And this uh, a man came and preached and he gave an invitation for those to receive Christ. And this particular, there was another man at the back and all the men are sullen there, they got their heads bowed and he just came running down the altar, he just wanted to get saved and, and he was in, he's saying, make me like Joe, make me like Joe, make me like Joe. Because Joe had cared for him and looked after him. Finally a person got him to kneel at prayer and said, I think what you mean is make him like Jesus. And the man said, is he like Joe? So your works count, don't they, saints? 
Every dollar, every, everything you've done for Jesus Christ will be rewarded one day. Let me close this final scripture, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I want you to think about those words. There's struggle there, isn't there? Listen. Listen to what he's saying. I, not, I haven't already obtained this. It's Paul. If he's saying that, what hope have we got? But I, I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I love that because he realises that there's struggle here. There's divine dissatisfaction. And if you're feeling that, praise God, so did Paul. You're in good company. But I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm aspiring for all that God has for me. I'm not there yet. I'm struggling. I'm working through things. But I want to be all that God I want to have all that God has for me because one day I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ. Let me just read this poem in closing. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And he shows his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been, had he had his way, and I see how I blocked him here and checked him there and would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my saviour's eyes, grief though he loves me still? Would he have me rich but I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace? while my memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths that I cannot retrace. Lord of the years that are left to me, I give them to your hand. Take me, mould me, break me to the pattern that you have planned. Saints, we're either going to be raptured or you're going to pass into eternity, but at that point, that's when you put the signature on your portrait. That's it. That's your life's work. Don't die with the music in you. Amen? Your gifts, your abilities, your callings, what you do for Jesus Christ is one day going to be richly rewarded by a greater than Caesar. And all the joy that you're going to experience that day and your slight struggles, and they're real and genuine, I'm not undermining them, they will pass away as you enter into eternity with Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's just have every head bowed, every eye closed. I appreciate your attentiveness this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just if I can, I don't want to embarrass anyone here. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to sign anything or join a church or anything like that. I just want you to do one thing. That if you're listening to what I'm saying, you'd say, well, you know what, I want, to, I want to one day stand before Jesus and be right in his eyes. I want to be forgiven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus Christ stood on that cross, hung on that cross for your sin. He had you in mind. And if that's you this morning, you've come into this place either through an invitation or a friend or by divine appointment, God has you here for a reason. And you'd say, preacher, I want to know this Jesus that you've been talking about. Would you do one thing for me? No one's looking, and no, I don't want to embarrass you. Just quickly raise your hand. 
anyone at all, I want to give an invitation. You don't know Christ, but you'd like to walk out of here changed with your sins forgiven. If that's you, quickly raise your hand. Maybe you once to walk with God, but you know that you're away from God now and he's gently calling you back again. Preacher, count me in your prayers this morning. I want to come back to Christ. If that's you, quickly raise your hand. Hallelujah. Then what I'd like us to do now then is my brother, uh, Glenn, you, can you, or we'll, just, we'll, we'll be led in chorus, we'll sing a chorus, so you can stand with us if you don't mind standing. And then if you want some time, listen to me, Christian, if you want some time in prayer, just turn in your chair or pray in your seat, whatever it is, with your motives, ask God to help you with your speech and be an encouragement or say, God, what is it that you've, what are the giftings that you have? Let the Spirit of God minister to you. If that's you, feel free to pray while we sing a chorus and my brother is going to lead us in a song. Hallelujah. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.